We need to talk about the motherhood penalty. A penalty that only mothers pay when they become parents. A penalty that strikes your lifetime earnings, your retirement savings and your career. A penalty that for me took me by surprise and off-ramped my first career. My name is Emma McLean and in this series we're going to do just that. We are going to talk all about the motherhood penalty. Get curious about the system that creates it and talk to experts about what we can do to smash it. It's going to be practical, punchy and peppered with laughter. A little like me. If this sounds good to you, let's get into it. Welcome to How to Smash the Motherhood Penalty, a podcast where we get curious about the motherhood penalty, curious about the system that creates it, and curious about the solutions that are going to smash it. Today, sitting across the table from me, resplendent in red and pink, the two possible best colours, pink nail polish as well, Hayley Pateranui. Legend used to be one of my foundation clients. I'm going to let her introduce herself. But I, what I do want to introduce you to Haley about, and if you don't know Haley, you need to. I just want to give a really big mehi to you, Haley, because you are such a generous person. You are such a driven person. And also, you are always the person that mentions other women in a room that they're not in. We need women like that. You always mention my name. And I just want to say thank you so much for that, because I think it's important that we all do this together, right? That we're not alone in it. And that's something that I've definitely learned from you. I just want to say thank you so much. Tēnā koe mō o kupu hai. Ia hau. Tēnā koe. Tēnā koutou katoa e whakarongo ana ki tēnei a pāpaho, a puna pāpaho. He uri tēnei ngō Ngāti Maniapoto e tipuaka ki tīkweti. Ko tētahi taha nō tāku, nō teatanga hauiti me Ngāti Pāhauera. Nō reira, tēnā koe ima, tēnā koutou katoa. Kia ora ima, that's very kind of you. Can I say thank you first and foremost for the acknowledgement of the fit? Um, you know, I turn up to <laughs> most uh, fit check. Um, I turn up to most faces to try and bring some literal colour and, as you say, try and normalise some spaces that perhaps need a bit of colour, both literally and then kind of in a vibe. Mm-hmm. As I said in my mihi, thank you very much for those kind words. Um, and just a little bit about me, I am from Ngāti Maniapoto on my mum's side. My mum is one of 12. I grew up in Tikwiti or Tekori or Tokori <laughs> when we were growing up. Um, I thought our main street was Raro Street, the Koreo, but in fact it's um, Rora. And Rora is actually our um, hapu as well. So mm. interesting as you grow up and, and kind of learn these things. And then on my dad's side, I'm from a place called Tolaga Bay, which is on the east coast. And so Uawa is the river that goes through Tolaga Bay for anyone that knows. But my dad was the eldest of three children, which is quite small for a Māori whānau. Mm. But because he was the eldest and a boy, he was whāngaid, so adopted mm. in a Māori sense, and raised by his grandparents sort of two hours down the coast closer to Napier. 
So it's an interesting dynamic because as a mum now, I guess I think, man, that must have been big for my nan to give up my... So my dad, he does call his grandmother his mum and his grandfather, his dad. He's still close to his siblings, but he's definitely almost still closer to his whangau brothers. Which again, you don't really understand the nuance of all of this until you grow up. So yeah, we spent a lot of time. We definitely grew up with my mum's whānau. As I said, she's one of 12, mm. six sisters, six brothers. So big Māori whānau. And, you know, there's definitely some kind of subliminal messages that were coming through from my grandparents when we were growing up. My papa said the same speech shots and indoctrinated in all of us, which is basically be good, uh, work hard and love one another. Mm. Every now and again, if there were some of the naughty ones around, he'd also say, don't pitch. <laughs> <laughs> We'd sort of locked out and say, who's he talking to? Um, and so from that, you know, we're quite very fortunate and I think an exception, and I don't say an exception in a boastful way, I say an exception in that we were very fortunate to be one of the few Māori who were raised on our land. Mm. My great-great-grandmother, Mere Tarongo Pāmamao, petitioned the government very early on around the retention of our land. And when I was a lawyer in a previous life, I had the privilege of going through some Waitangi Tribunal reports and trawling through pages. And I saw this phrase that she used when she petitioned the government and directly wrote a letter to the native land officer of the time. So mm. this is like mm. pre-1900s and said that, you know, our bones have always been in this land and mm. you can put up your fences, but that will only ever be a way for you to determine the, the lines of our land. And I remember that, mm. you know, thinking, man, that's profound, but also it's a good reminder of your ilk as well. Mm-hmm. So definitely raised in a large Māori whānau. I, I don't know anything else other than and then being Māori. And coming back to that exception, again, not with any boast, but we are a whānau who retained our land, retained our identity, mm. devoid, absolutely n- no, you know, harm, abuse, trauma, that is associated with colonisation. Mm. So again, it kind of contextualises mm. a very privileged position mm. and it's probably only more that I get older that I have appreciation for that mm. um, and it probably is part of the motivation and responsibility for our people as well. So, mm. man, that got very deep very quickly. No, yeah, um, why. But yeah, you know, that's some of the context and, and I think as Aotearoa New Zealand evolves, we've got to find a place you know, to each other, and mm-hmm. I mean our bicultural foundations. Mm-hmm. But it's important that we deal in facts when we're talking about our history. And so even, you know, I sort of use that context around tikwiti. Tikwiti is actually short for tikwiti tangaonga whakaro, mm-hmm. which is, um, stands for the gathering place of ideas. Mm-hmm. So that is a better kind of context. So motakiora is our maunga. In, in Tikwiti, if anyone has the privilege of going through Tikwiti, mm. the significance of that mountain for us, it was renamed, I think it was Brook Park. Brook was some guy that I think he's another one that never actually arrived in Tikwiti. Mm. You know, they just had the privilege of getting all these places named after <laughs> them. So this has got this really colonial, important colonial history that I can hopefully share as we find our bridge to each other. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. just making sure that we deal in fact. So again, you know, when I talk about those sorts of things, we just knew it as Takawari growing mm. up. And now we are reclaiming all these yep. sorts of things and taking people along with us. So yep. back to the very kind words of 
sort of taking people into spaces and mentioning mm. other. I, th- I think part of that context is, you know, both responsibility, but I guess a real core cool belief that you, your success has to be success and how you grow others. Mm. So I think you, you know, sometimes it's, you know, I don't mean to be, again, boastful or kind of um, holier than thou, because mm. I think imperfections make us perfect people, mm. right? You should, you should have constant work-ons. Mm. But uh, to your point, we should be, I think in particularly in workplaces, corporate workplaces as they were evolved, and I'm sure we'll touch on that later, more often the signs of success tend to be people, loudest people in the room, mm. who's done mm-hmm. the best work, the sharpest mm-hmm. work and all the rest of it. But I sort of like to normalise bringing others. It could be just one name dropping. And also too, I, I'm conscious as I sort of move through my career how you normalise that mm. for people as well. So mm. make sure that, you know, you sort of normalise, be an example for others who might be watching and particularly young people who are in the formative years of their mm. career. Just to sort of say, you know, I mean, you don't have to be selling people. No. But it just takes one, you know, this is who I've used, this has worked for us. Cool. I mean, I guess the last bit before we sort of move on to him, I would, it's important that I do say, I wouldn't use your name if mm. I didn't believe in the mahi that you did mm. do the impact you have and the quality of that. So mm. um, that does have some basis. Yeah, um, you know, you don't do things like. Oh no, I mean, stupid. I think um, first of all, thank you for trusting this space <laughs> with your story from a long line of leaders, people who know their worth, know what they want, and go out and get it. And whoa, what an amazing! way to ground us all so thank you (laughs) so beautiful and I think mentioning people's names in a room when they're not there I love your description of that and there's a very cool woman called Cindy Gallup I don't know if you follow her on LinkedIn but she's an American ad woman and she's got this great phrase which is women don't need mentors we don't need sponsors we need champions. Yeah. We need people that say our name in the room when yeah. we are not there, yeah. that say, Emma can do this job, yeah. appoint her. I've seen it play out when you can see people presenting, for example, on their mm. feet. One of the re- main reasons why I sort of got into the diversity and inclusion space at the start is because I had this moment where I was wondering why my glasses always get foggy. <laughs> happening to me this is so weird and I was like so again I went to all sources of truth the internet yeah. and I was like why do my glasses always get funny one of the things I came across is this research that was done on air conditioning units yeah the people who are tested the prototype that mm. are tested on of course is a middle-aged male who has got a sedentary job so, you know, I'm like four or five degrees away from that as a 40-something-year-old chemically challenged woman, <laughs> particularly when I'm like trying to go up, up a, you know, stairs to yeah. let, like then land in a room and my glasses are all foggy and I'm like, you know, giving this sermon and everyone's like, oh my God, her glasses are foggy, what's happening? Can she see anything? Can she see anything? <laughs> like what's happening here? So I read that and yeah. I was like, Whoa. what? Yeah. You know, so I'm like... I've actually shared that, you know, and I've done those panel chats, yeah. you know, and I'll say to people, you know, if you're sitting here and thinking, man, I'm hot, or mm. actually, man, I'm cold, mm. Mm. if you're a couple of steps away from that prototype, mm. then yeah, of mm. course you will be, because, mm. so I guess the other thing is I've seen in motion women when they're presenting on their feet and technology's not working yes. or 
yes, have this mind blank mm. or you're losing the room because mm. the crowd has got their arms folded and they're like... <sighs> on their phones. On their phones <laughs> or people are like, oh, you know. Yep. And so, again, it's it's really important that you sort of say, take your time, it's all right. It happens yes. to me all the time. Yes. Or I've seen it a couple of times. Someone will give an amazing presentation or whatever and the bloke will say, oh, to build on that. And I'm like, <laughs> it's their house is built. It's yeah. fine. It's great. The house is built. It's the fine. The house is built. It's fine. And, and again, it's not to cut across both of them, mm. but it is to make sure that we're shifting back. If someone's on their feet, that's where the attention should be. Mm. You're going to get your chance. Mm. But yeah, that, that's the whole thing. Yeah. I read my glasses. So Love it. again, great even story. when I'm even on the, a panel, I'll say, it, my glasses are going to get foggy. Just wait. It's just going to happen. <laughs> so, you know, and I say, but just stay with me. Mm. I'll just pause for a couple of seconds and then the foggy windows will go away. <laughs> you know, and you can take you can take me seriously or otherwise. Yeah. But I think it's just about normalising those sorts of things. Totally. And I think it's a great story, the air conditioning. And, you know, <laughs> hashtag anyone wants to sponsor us with some air conditioning, reach We're, out. Yeah, we reach out. Um, and uh, actually just a really good example of, you know, a system that, again, is not working. Nothing to do with women. It's just that the system's not working. Right? Yeah, well, yeah. Again, if you think about it in an affirmative sense, it's just a, such a big mis- business opportunity. Yeah, yeah. There's so many things too. Again, as as the country, the world evolves. Yeah. I don't think I would fit probably the profile of a business like Bunnings. But I tell you what, man, <laughs> there is nothing more that I love than a yeah. good trip to Bunnings. Yeah. And I'm probably yeah. just going to get another plant because yeah. you know it's either cats or plants, right? Yeah. <laughs> this stage of life. But I'll find myself walking around, and yeah. I can just. And I just think you could be appealing to such a wider audience. And I think you and I have spoken about this, Emma, in terms of, you know, you go through, raise your babies, Mm. maybe you, you know, have a marriage, Mm. and and maybe you dip out of that as well. But, you know, this, when you think about how sort of 40 plus, you're probably coming into the time of your career where your earning capacity is peak. Mm. And then you have this world that hasn't, caught up with that Mm, though mm -hmm. and so the businesses that have clicked onto that Mm. and are able to and I'm not talking about a pink drill by the way Mm. or pink toilet (laughs) or pink toilet I'm talking about that but it's like I want to put up the curtain rail yeah, or build your own trellis. You build know, like a trellis. Yeah, like I totally agree. I don't mow though my lawn. I've only got a little lawn, but I just like mowing the lawn. And then I like there's no nothing chemically or scientifically proven that we Mm. can't do that. Even putting out the bin, you know, mm. like I remember post-marriage when my marriage ended and I had these things in my head mm. like, oh, I'm going to have to mow the lawns and now I'm going to have to mm. put out the bin and mm. all those masculine things, mm. stereotypes, myths. Mm. And then it's very empowering being able to do those sorts of things because you're like, eh, mm. I can do that myself. Yeah. So, yeah, a whole lot of things within that. But I think the sooner, to your point, that the system, it's never about saying, Overrepresentation of white men is bad for them personally, or that it's an mm. attack on them personally, mm. or they're bad people. Mm. And I think when they interpret it that way, that says more about them. Mm. But it's more for me around again. If you think, if you truly believe in commercial outcomes and business propositions, mm-hmm. then it's such a it represents such a missed opportunity, yep. and not yep. totally. Bananas. 
Come on, buddy. I think there's a total missed opportunity. I mean, we've only got to look at the success of the Barbie movie. It's the, one of the highest grossing films. The sport at the moment. Yeah, the spo- yeah. women's sports. You know, obviously I'm going to mention the Taylor Swift Eras Tour, of which I am going to in oh Melbourne. God, I um <laughs> Lizzo, I went to Lizzo yes, last week. Lizzo, I went to Lizzo I go, oh gosh, I don't know the songs. I was like on my Spotify, what's the song, what's the song? Get to the concert. In a minute, I'll leave. In a minute, I'll yeah. For all like, the listeners, she's now doing a TikTok dance. <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> but I was like, when yeah. she came out, I was like, you know, she comes out and it's like, empowerment or whatever. Yeah. I think, side note, she's got into some trouble in the, yes, I have, the last 40 I have seen hours. That. Anyway, side that note. Yeah, putting that aside. Didn't know that. Yeah. Um, just I was thinking, wow, and to watch the crowd around us, all young women and men actually. Powerful. Dancing. There was a mum next to us that was like, oh, my girls don't like, like me dancing or whatever. Like, Who cares about them? So let's get up. And yeah. so she just danced beside us and we nice. laughed with her. Yeah. But it was more so, wow, they're so emphatic with the positivity yeah. that I think if I spent less time when I was growing and learning, mm. trying to grapple with all of the myths mm-hmm. that were made up by society by others mm. and then quantified in my head yeah and then you know you add on <laughs> what's ha- whatever happening in life yeah man if that was all sort of i don't know even halved you think about how much more time you could spend in being a better version of yourself yes queen you know i mean What's the possibility here? What's the opportunity here? And, you know, from a commercial perspective, again, as you brought that back, people are missing out on a lot of money here. They really are. This is an audience, right? And I love, I didn't go to Lizzo, but I love concerts like that because I always just think, man, what could we do with this energy in this room? It is so powerful it is supportive it is uplifting it is together and it is it's just so beautiful i love it yeah i love it too so yeah right awesome shall we move on to that (laughs) (laughs) i think it all starts education anyway so when i say the word motherhood penalty what comes up for you yeah i think it's probably evolved and and again if we think about societal norms Mm. and the roles that women if we just put it in that context, mm. we just accept. So in my context, I was really lucky. My girl's dad worked really hard, but he worked straight away. So there was ding, ding. We took mm-hmm. that box, right? He mm-hmm. just went straight to work because mm-hmm. I was got myself pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, him and I got mm-hmm. myself pregnant. You know, he went away and worked. And then, you know, I was up carrying baby and then had baby. I was slightly, slightly different because I was able to go to university. Our first holiday break, had Baba. I was back two weeks later at university wow. full time study. And I remember, wow. you know, I remember feeding her and typing with the other hand, mm. you know. And so I guess, but I guess, again, the incidental once baby was at school age, yeah. the incidental getting her to school, mm. me going to work, getting her after, and then going home and doing dinner. Yeah. That was all just an assumed. Yeah. Again, we were slightly different, and I drew credit to her dad, who was a really hard worker, and he just did that. Mm. But I guess the slight point I'm trying to make is that it was all set up that way. Mm. There was never any kind of, and then incidental to when he was able to, outside of his work, Mm. support. But 
otherwise it w- I was always the default mechanism. Yeah. And then when I replay that, again, coming back to this penalty, is that women, again, I'd imagine, will wake up at five o'clock in the morning, perhaps ponder the day, and then spend the time from five, maybe she gets to work at 8.30. That's what, three and a half hours of mm. already having mm. done. So then you have to turn up to work. Mm. The context, again, as we come back to that, that position, I dare say, and this is one of the things that I work really hard with with trying to encourage teams, don't have an 8.30 meeting, don't have a 9.30, even mm. a 9 or 9.30 meeting. It's a mm. practical thing. Mm. So if you think about three and a half hours that have just been use getting people little people ready herself ready Mm. and then to turn up to the workplace and then you know give a presentation on some amazingly important thing Mm. and then be judged by people who haven't had the same routine have Mm. literally just got up you know it's just not one and the same thing so I think that's the sort of context that the penalty Mm. has an impact and then just life-wise like you think about practical application of what happens in people's careers when Mm. we start having babies say let's say 25 to 35 the ability to give full of yourself is zero to none right Mm. because you've just got these other conflicting things that most of all when we boil it down are societal constructs so this is not kind of new stuff what i like to quickly go to again is what are the practical things that people can do again do you really need to Mm. be having the 8 30 meeting are the other ways, again, I hear a little bit of, oh, we'll do it at 4 o'clock. Mm. Well, school finishes most schools at 3, 3.30. Mm. Mm. So what's the likelihood, again, knowing that most mothers will be charged with that or be thinking? I remember when I was working, I was always, even after school care, there was mm. always this degree of guilt. Yeah, And I had yes. this vision that my baby was like sitting there. yes. The reality is every time I picked her up, she's like running around sweating and like, oh, you're here to pick me up. Yeah. But I I just want to say that's a real thought for parents, right? I see it all the time on the discussion boards on Facebook is mums will go, oh, my kid's going to school and I feel really, they've been in daycare, you know, from like eight till six every day, but I feel really guilty about putting them in after school care. And it's this thing we have that we think that they're going to be sitting in this hall alone crying or something but then when we go and pick them up they don't want to leave and stuff like that but the guilt is really real and I think the guilt is something that I don't know I'm curious about you know whether dads have that guilt I think they do for sure I think they do again this is the this is the other part of the distraction and I call it a distraction yeah with how it's got po- so polarizing and such yeah. a men versus women yeah. dads versus mums yeah. binary argument yes because it really does make us butt heads with each other yeah but the opportunity once and more often not spoken about is breaking down or deconstructing the things that have been the myths that have been created for men as well you know the fact that men don't have feelings well we know that's not true I remember, again, my girl's dad used to say, oh, you know, I can't come to golf or whatever to his friends. I've got a babysit. I'm like, yeah, you know, but if you look, I'm going kids. This is called babysitting, you know? Like, no. I've read a couple of quotes of CEOs, which typically won't mean, right? Mm. And it's like, what's your biggest regret from your corporate career? Mm. Didn't spend any more time with my kids. Mm. Missed out. Mm. So it's like, mm. if we've had generation of that, generations of that narrative, yeah. who's this actually serving? Exactly. Nobody. Like the system isn't working for anyone. It looks on the outside that it might be working for men, but is it? 
Yeah, so I think the cumulative effect of the actual lived experiences plus, plus the social constructs yeah. plus just the way the system's designed yeah. in terms of, you know, the practical things. Again, women, I've got uh, a woman on my team, actually, Luana, who's amazing, who was at the office yesterday, and I'm like, you need she's 35 weeks pregnant, you know, still to, uh, going up and down. I'm like, you need to work from home. But that's going to have, you know, she's just led, the, led, led this massive project for us and now is going on parental leave for six months. Mm. Again, you think about the cumulative effect, this is their third baby, yeah. of what it takes to be physically away from the office, all of the things that happen. Yeah. I think even just like, you know, sometimes uh, workplaces will change their brand. You come back and it's like, what's everyone talking about? What the hell? You know, I, I don't know if that's what the lingo we use now. So there's a bit of that. You might feel a bit isolated. Again, it's like when you've got these new babies, for example, you've just had six months. I think the other thing, Emma, again, this is probably stage of life thing, is around, you know, you're so in tuned with your body. Mm. Now, you know, if I get sick, I typically know what I have to do. Mm. But I do think, again, when you're coming through, and the ways in which, you know, child rearing, yeah. child birth, what happens post, societal pressures around your body, how you're feeling, mm. pressures. I feel so empathetic and sympathetic for women that have this pressure to look and feel a different way. Oh, my God, oh my God, you've just done the most amazing thing that humans can do. Carry a bubba, give birth to the baby, and then rear and raise with love. Keep them alive because, you know, there are moments when you've got a newborn and you're like, oh, my God, is the baby awake? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Where's the instruction guide? Where's the instruction guide? So um, I guess it's just a cumulative effect for me is is, is all of those things. What we can do, though, is, again, normalise conversations. You know, normalise, hey, again, for my Lou, for example, Mm. you're literally carrying an extra probably 20 kgs. So to get Mm. from come to work, I mean, stressful enough, finding a park, walking up the stairs. Again, you don't even need to be a leader, actually. You can be the first person in the room to say, hey, are you all right? Sorry, I meant to just go off slightly, but yeah. I do talk about it. One of my biggest lessons I've learned, and again, perhaps it's kind of why I work so hard on keeping grounded, is I remember getting into scrap one day and it was probably something along the lines of, you know, as per my last email, why didn't you listen to me? My PowerPoint is amazing. And I remember saying to my mom, like, oh, man, you know, I'm sort of scrap at the moment, kind of struggling at work, don't know, kind of, you know, quite feel quite wound up. And my mum said to me, you know, there's always a bigger co-papa than ourselves. Mm, mm. And I was like, well, that's not really the answer I wanted. I wanted you to tell me you got another one. Yeah. And um, when I reflected on that, so again, uh, it's another way that people can really make a difference is instead of responding <clears> as, in the, as per my last email, or yeah. well, my PowerPoint's amazing and therefore I'm not changing it, yeah. it's just to say, hey, you're right. Mm. What's happening there? Mm. If it's the email exchange is happening on a, I don't know, it doesn't really matter, but on a... Friday at two o'clock. I think we're both going to be better off to take the weekend mm. <laughs> to come back on a Monday, yeah. and I suspect that it's going to be a lot different, whether or not we admit that to ourselves. But we could have a colleague that says, "Take the time, mm. don't respond," because you just again think about what's best for the copper. Yeah, you know, people might kind of roll their eyes, perhaps, but that's okay, and that's okay. But I do think if you are Aligned to co-papa success and mm. other people's success, growth, otherwise, mm. whether or not you get awards, recognition, or gold star, 
I think that's a better way to think about things. Yeah. And you know, looking enough, we can be thinking about the evolution of Aotearoa New Zealand as we change and evolve and grow together. Some of us are finding connection to each other and all the rest of it. If we can be a country that is, again, an exemplar for everyone else, mm. you know, I think in the DNI space, we do take a lot of our narrative from America, mm. from the UK, mm. all well and good. And I'm sure it's all really valid. But, you know, let's not forget that we've got some pretty amazing things mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. our country. And interesting debate at the moment around people going to Australia. Cool. Individuals, mm-hmm. that's their own call. But I think, you know, we, mm. and I and I use a collective we, you and I, and everyone else that we love and adore, mm are off this land, Mm. you know. We're Mm. off this land. Mm. We want our kids, our grandbabies, Mm. our future, future generations Mm. to be off this land. Mm. And that's why I'll stay here. Mm. And I Mm. think, again, what's best for New Zealand, you know, again, think about kaupapa. Mm. If Mm. you are getting tripped up in a personal scrap, a personal project, a personal whatever it is, what's the kaupapa alignment here? Yeah, yeah. It's just one way, I think, to figure things out. Oh, I think it's a great way. I mean, it reminds me of um, Brene Brown and the Returning with Confidence program I use. She talks about what if we assumed people are doing the best they can? Yeah, I think that's profound, right? <laughs> Again, around yeah. an- another tactical thing too is give people a couple of cracks at things. You know, sometimes I've seen it play out around, you know, okay, first time, and, and, this, and I'm speaking from my own experience as well, but you have a crack at things, probably not their best work or my best work. Mm. What really helps is if you have someone that says, well, what do you think? How yeah. do you think you went? Yeah. And if it's a, oh, man, it was terrible. Yeah. Obviously, you want to be genuine, but there's just not going to serve anyone reinforcing that they've already acknowledged that they yeah. probably haven't showed up. Yeah. What you can say is, never mind. Mm. You'll get another try. Mm. We just do better mm. next time. It's all right. Mm. Or mm. actually contextualize it with, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Mm. It's mm. fine. Mm. Like sometimes mm. I think people, you know, will play into or reiterate the perception that they've made this massive oh. mistakes and you just see this massive confidence loss in people. Whereas I think it, you've got a vested interest as a people manager perhaps to sort of contextualize it and say, you know what, you've done what needs to be done. Mm. Um, I had another great manager, Susan Dowdy, who was incredible. And she said to me again, just do what needs to be done today and tomorrow we'll do the same tomorrow. Yeah. And beautiful. the same after. Yeah, like, beautiful. It's just basically get what needs to be done. Yeah, doesn't need to be perfect because mm. I don't know if there is such thing as perfect, right? Who mm. just determines perfect? Mm. So I think that's another tactical thing that people can help, particularly parents, with that load. I think it's important because you know my work with parents, they have such high expectations on themselves, right? Hard out, you know, and and I think that. They're the harshest critics. So if you can have a, a people leader sitting beside you going, hey, that was that's good. Fine. That was done. Right. It's out the door. Let's go home. Move on. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really important because I see a lot of parents, they say to me, Emma, I'm back at work, but, you know, I'm not really, like, delivering the same level that I was before. Yeah. And, and what will people be saying about yeah. me? And it's like... Probably nothing, yeah. but that's just in your head, yeah. you know. It's really loud, though. Yeah. Or, again, managers can say, you're doing what needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Th- that's, oh, okay. Oh, okay. And then, it's awesome. And then, and then go the next day. I've seen a couple of times play out where it's like, 
oh, you know, I had a hard night with my baby. I've turned up to work. Yes. And, oh, my God, it's just <clears throat> terrible. I've mm. seen, and also, oh, I've made a really big mistake and my manager's kind of made me feel that way as well. Mm. It's had this massive impact. Mm. You know, that's the nature of leadership sometimes mm. too. You, you kind of take one for the team mm-hmm. and you trust as well. I mean, it doesn't always go like that. Coming back to that, I think you've always got to assume good intent. Totally. And if you don't, then you have to articulate what your expectations are. So I guess that's the other thing is that being really clear comms. Yeah. This yeah. is the roadmap. This is what yeah. we're delivering. This is where you fit in. Yeah. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. If it goes a bit skew, if that's okay, I'll, I'll, I've got you. Yeah. And, and we'll get it back. Yeah. But again, in the absence of that, there's just so much noise, I think, that parents. The other thing is often unspoke about. Like if I'm enjoyed, I don't know, six, seven hours sleep, mm. uh, most of our parents get, what, four or five. Mm. Well, and that... The two-hour stretches, two hours, they're crewing around hours, the world. Two boat. hours, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that can have an impact, you know? Like, yeah. again, that yeah. chemically, physically, mentally, how you're turning up to the office. Yeah. So it could be some days you just say, you're better served if you're at home. Yeah, yeah. Come back tomorrow. Yeah. We'll see you tomorrow. Or something along those lines. I think, you know, when I hear you talk that all back, I think there's, you know, in terms of what can we do, what can individuals do, what can people, leaders do, there's a mixture of this operational stuff, right? Like 8.30 meetings, we don't need to do that. And also, you know, that probably works for lots of other people, not just parents, right? But also as people leaders, being humans, genuinely caring about people, assuming the best in them. Like in your career to date, if we were to, if we, if we really want to smash the motherhood penalty and which is, you know, defined as a penalty on your lifetime earnings as a mother opposed to a father, your retirement savings and your career, what else do you think are the solutions we need to put in place? Like what have you seen that's worked on a on a bigger level that people could learn from? Definitely, you know, it has to be interrupting the system. Um, yeah. just the believed things. So a couple of years ago, we lifted our parental leave. I think it was from 18 mm. weeks to 26, mm. topped up 100%. Mm. Um, Amazing. Also, you know, KiwiSaver. For a business of our scale, again, people will quickly go to, oh, big investment, oh, big mm. cost. Mm. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, okay, but we're still, we're both, we're also the same organisation that will use things like, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, you can't use the that without that yeah and also we seem to very easily qualify investment or paying the best people again bit of bias because you know we're okay to pay commercial consultants whatever Mm. technicians but then we run this uh, counter argument for parents Mm. um so i think again real systematic change and it has to start from the top i know we hear this over and over again but but it just has to and i think people will come to it the organizations that are lagging it will be they'll they'll lag for cumulative reasons. People just won't want to go work there anymore. Yeah. So I think it's that. You know, we see and you and I've spoken about Emma, this sort of proliferation of diversity, equity and inclusion roles, mm. but they're still quite very deep mm. in organizations. Or when organizations sort of have, I don't know, financial troubles. Uh, headwinds maybe and they the, the, those are the first roles to go yeah and you know um reports like McKinsey have been tracking this for a long time and they say as well it's the same in the states so it's holding the line mm. you have to elevate these roles to yes. have any impact you yes. just do they have to have teeth they have to have teeth I've got a sort of personal view it's at odds with Fonzie so I've got to be careful but they're often 
sit within HR teams. Mm. I think the real change will, of or impact, sorry, of these roles needs to be outside of, and mm. that's not to say that our HR peers are not equipped or able to do these roles, but there needs to be a line of demarcation because <clears throat> they need to sit within the business. So I think that's what mm. has worked. Mm. And again, it, I think we're often, so we have these diversity, equity, inclusion conversations. If we start, start with a diversity one, headline acts are which are gender, mm-hmm. woman, mm-hmm. you know, ethnicity perhaps in a local context, Māori, and then we quickly follow by Pacifica. But if we think about that, Again, we almost look to the diverse people mm-hmm. to fix the solutions. Yes. But what doesn't get spoken about is the relativity of relative to what. Mm. So if we mm. if women are diverse relative to who. Mm. So mm. we don't talk about that conversations. And so I often will challenge that and sort of say, yeah, before we go fix the women and fix the Maoris and the PIs and everyone else that's different, can we have a really conversation around the majority and the privilege that sits within that? Very uncomfortable because mm-hmm. then we're like, oh, well, no, I don't want to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. I thought we were going to, you know, mm-hmm. you were going to give me 10 ideas mm-hmm. on how I can fix the women. Well, no, I want to talk about, you know, what we're each doing and where we fit that because if you can't articulate that, even if it's a really uncomfortable, then you're probably not going to get change. Not not sustainable change. Oh, I mean, I believe we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. A hundred percent. Within that is you know, that real stronghold of unquestioned power. Mm. I think within that, it's like privilege. And privilege, of course, is you just don't know that you've got it, right? Mm-hmm. It's just assumed. Mm-hmm. And that can be very uncomfortable. If mm-hmm. people have built being promoted and on the basis of operating one way, and typically in the twilight of their careers, and you come in and sort of say these things which challenge that mm. to take that whole system down, that can be a really challenging conversation, but incremental changes as well. And if you do find yourself in these roles, which I've been as well, you've just got to choose your lane and you've got to also be very comfortable with the things you can control and yeah. you'll get yourself, I think I've spoken about this before, but you can feel yourself sometimes engaging in and descending into scraps, which yeah. whereby you're starting again to go, probably go further away from Kopapa, yeah, and more closer to kind of individual wins. And I think you have to have the ability to choose your lane mm. and also put a stop to this is just not serving anyone. Mm. It's not serving me. It's not serving my adversary in this moment. Mm. It's not serving the overall Kopapa. Mm. So I'm just going to accept that we've got opposing views. Mm. I've, choose someone else to yeah. talk to totally and you can't just that's not about consistently waving the white flag and giving up and surrendering it's trusting that you've had a conversation in a space that had that conversation hasn't had before mm. and you leave it for someone else to pick up mm. and typically it, this stuff goes in cycles mm. and it's like ah, oh, here we are again mm. <laughs> shall we have that conversation again yeah no i mean oh i just have so much empathy for all of that I work a lot with people who are working in the diversity, inclusion and equity space and, man, it's hard. It's big. It's big. And yeah. I, I literally think this choose your lane, be kind to yourself, advocate for these roles to be meaningful, you know? Like I had one client who shall remain nameless who was in a DNI role in a very large company and really no budget. Yeah. But the CEO used to love all the stuff yeah. and want more. Yeah. And my contact said, well, you do realise everyone just bakes from their home and brings it in for the store. There yeah. is no budget here. All of the Diwali decorations <coughs> are typically sourced, bought in. Yeah. 
But, you know, you speak to those groups and they're like, well, we don't really need to do this. I mean, we're just doing it for the workplace. And I'm like, and it, so again, as long as that's at least acknowledged in performance reviews, I think, yeah. again, coming back to the system, those are tactical ways that you can, you yeah. know, acknowledge it over and above rather than, hey, Emma, and, you know, hey, Emma, love that you continue to do the culture right. So I think performance review time at the moment, again, it, to use a Fonterra context, I talk a lot about giving women actionable items in their performance reviews. Nice. So rather than idea. sort of emotive, yeah. I find you too emotional and therefore. Yeah. Because those are things that we can't change, right? Yeah. And we want, why would you want to change? That's makes people who they are. Yeah. That makes people human and it also makes them the beautiful people. Yeah. What I always talk to, if you're going to give the emotive, if you have to, you've it's got to be matched with a tactical something, an action orientated. Nice. So rather than, you know, I find you too emotional and then for it's just too hard, it's, hey, we're different. And when I, let's have a conversation around sort of our differences, but also what the good I see in you. You know, again, let's round up the last year. And when I think of, you know, are things, have they kind of been over imagined mm. to support a narrative or are we dealing in fact here? And mm. nine times out of ten, what I do find is people will give me a sort of list on someone in their team and I'll say, well, how many times did that happen in the year? Mm. Four. Yeah. <laughs> One every quarter, right, of 12 months. Mm. Oh, mm. okay. So what mm. you're saying is, you know, um, you know, whatever that bias is, it's just very, very strong for yeah. people. So make sure managers, if your performance review, wherever that's happening. Yeah. This is, of course, assuming that these are workplaces that have these formal processes. Mm. Doesn't even have to be a formal process, though. Yeah. Going to give emotional advice. Please make sure that's you know matched with tactical things that people can actually take away as an yeah, action. they can hang on to. Love yeah. it. Love it. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and also, I want to acknowledge that being a good leader, the way you've described, is not easy. And I don't think. Leaders get a whole lot of support sometimes if they're not naturally equipped that way. So this is, again, the complexity of this stuff, right? Yeah. I guess finally, I want to give you a little magic wand, Taylor. And if I gave you a magic wand and there was one thing you could do to our system to really that you think would have the biggest impact in terms of reducing the penalty that only mums pay when they become parents, whether that's pay parental leave, some kind of employment solutions, childcare, whatever it is. What do you think's the one thing that would have the biggest impact? Oh, man, I think I would love to, as soon as, obviously not as soon as the moment baby is conceived because that's private. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when there's an announcement yeah. that the bubba's on the way, yeah. between that period and going on, you know, parental leave and then the so six months, nine months, 12 months yeah. period and then also the two, three years after that, yeah. you know, there's this constant support wrapped wow. around. Now, I know, again, people go, what the hell, that's four years. But also Conception to school. Conception, <laughs> conception to school. It's a program. Heard it here we, first, Father. It's a program. <laughs> Heard it here first. Um, you know, that, that wraparound support oh, in all that respects. That is so beautiful. Yeah, you know, and, and people again will say, well, that's four years. But are you saying that people should stay in your workplace for that time and have a terrible experience? You know, and again, I think it has to be from the time because – one of the things I've have heard, and you probably heard this too, is it's actually the tough time is the lead up to parental leave. Mm. It's like 
the you know expectant mum becomes othered. Mm. So mm. othered in the sense of well, I just you, I didn't put you on that project because I just assumed that you yes. know your situation. Or again, you could become a bit of a social pariah. Well, you know, we didn't invite you to the drinks because yeah. you're sitch. Or, you know, well, we're having a team off-site and yay, we're going to go do, you know, an amazing race. Yeah. Well, yeah. six months pregnant. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that's not happening. That's a, I, I think that's such a good call out. I think that period of time between when you find out you're pregnant and you leave, there's actually a lot that happens in that because in addition to all those things you talked about, I think what I also hear from my clients is they start to evaluate is this the company I'm going to be with? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's a big, like, who can I see that's doing this? Yeah. Who's me yeah. here? Yeah. And I think if we can really help them to understand that you can stay here, yeah. this is a place for yeah. you, it's important. I think at the very least, too, Emma, it's, and it's funny, but just a question, how can I support you? At the very least, it's the fact of being asked Yep. And then even if it is a practical, you know, you think about it, you take some time to reflect. Yeah. But how can I support you? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. implied in that, how can I support you, is that I will support you. Oh, beautiful. So you don't have to be then going, uh, 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 you know, and the, again, the Amazing. toll of that. And, and to your point, full stop silence, let me respond. Let totally. me tell you how you can support me. That is so beautiful and so accessible. Okay, a lot of what you were talking about is being a good human, which is the admiral goal, goal for all of us. But also, I think a lot of this is scary. And I think as a people leader, you might not know what the answer is, but just ask the question. Yeah. You know, because as you say, then someone feels seen. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got you. Yeah. I'm asking you the question. I've got you. So I love it. Um, kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you so much. You're welcome. What an amazing conversation. It's wide-ranging. We've gone a lot of places. Yeah, hopefully it's you can. It's so deep. It's so beautiful. I can get so much Great. out of there. It's beautiful. I want to thank you so much, my friend. You bring so much richness <laughs> to my <Thank> life. <laughs> Words can't really uh, convey that. Um, I've totally loved our conversation. I know that everyone who listens to this will get so much out of it. Awesome. And thank you very much. You're welcome. Tēnā E ma o tira kia koutou e whakaro o ana tēnā tātou katoa. Thank you. This podcast was funded by Works for Everyone, a business that is dedicated to supporting working parents and to smashing the motherhood penalty. If this is also your jam, let's stay connected. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for us, Works for Everyone. And if you want more information on how we help businesses put a care wrap around their employees, check us out on worksforeveryone.co.nz or if none of these work for you in the weekends you can find me Emma McLean the founder of Works for Everyone in the queue at Pack and Save Royal Oak or Kmart St Luke's onwards